Hello and welcome to the Irish Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Houghton. I'm an entrepreneur, investor, and financial independence enthusiast, sharing my financial freedom journey. Stay tuned and welcome aboard. That's one thing I've become very aware of myself, spending my 14, 15 hours you know, at times behind a computer each day. It's just not, we're not made for that as human beings. So I think very much that's my main aim, living as healthy as possible and making well, my financial means support that. Yes, yes, it is so good to have Alva back on the podcast. And firstly, apologies. I am currently a little sick. So recording this intro is certainly a little bit harder for me than usual. Believe it or not, it had been two and a half years since I had Alva on the show and we wanted to do something a little different. So I hadn't actually caught up with him for a while. So I thought rather than catch up with him and then record an episode, why not just do both at the same time? The episode itself was recorded on Zoom, so the audio quality certainly isn't perfect. However, I think it makes for a great interview. And finally, the episode itself was recorded a good few weeks ago now, so just keep that in mind when listening. But also, I do talk about HMO for my third investment property, which I'm still in the dark about whether I'm going to do that or not, and I'll likely give an update on that in a future episode. But for now, let's jump over to the interview. Okay, so the last time that you were on this podcast was the 5th of March, 2020. And if you think about how much has changed since then. So what's been going on, man? What's, what's happened? Where are you? What's your latest plan? What's changed? So if we grab everything in a nutshell, um, I've been for a good period of that. I was still up in Edinburgh, Scotland, working my tech engineering job, technical support for the veterinary industry, and obviously living throughout the whole COVID period experiencing the, <laughs> the amazing market crashes and the lift up from that point again, you know, to go down tens of thousands and then see it go up. <laughs> it's why it's a strong experience of the whole lockdown period. It's been such a weird bunch of the last two years. So I don't know how it was for you, like the first weeks in lockdown, but for me, it really was like, I thought, ah, it's going to be two weeks. Got some time working remotely. Sounds good. <laughs> I legitimately never thought it would. I thought oh, two weeks, it's over. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, um, I came up with this philosophy. And do you know what? I think it applies to almost any situation where, because, you know, like the, a lot of these news events, they make the markets move and it's scary and everybody's mm. freaking out. So I realized one of three things. Either A, it's going to be the end of the world as we know it. And any sort of financial meltdown in the markets doesn't matter because it's probably going to be a life or death situation in our own homes, right? So you take wars and, you know, pandemics and things like that into account. So like COVID was even going to kill us all. And so our financial situation didn't really matter. Or B, we were going to find a way to get over it and solve the problem, which kind of happened, but kind of didn't. Or C, we'll just learn to live with it. <laughs> and like markets will return to normal because we'll be over it. And I've kind of realized that those three scenarios will pretty much play out for any situation that happens. So it's very much been quite good for me in terms of making me feel better about my own understanding of the situation. And frankly, as long as that first scenario doesn't unfold where it's a life or death situation, then I'm just going to ride it out regardless, you know? I think we shouldn't forget, um, you know, when we look 
at like the market returns across like you know from 1880 up to right now always having been on average like seven eight percent that went through both world wars um if we compare that against uh covet obviously COVID was bad but you can't compare it to a world war in terms of death in terms of effects on society even with that taken into account we're still looking at a happy seven percent average so then, yeah, COVID wasn't nice, but <laughs> from an investment perspective, it doesn't scare me, even with all the crazy printing. And I like the way you go through these options because it's almost like uh, looking at what is the worst possible thing that can happen, right? Say, you know, if everything in the world, you know, that can possibly go wrong, what's the worst that could happen to me? Is it realistic? Is it going to happen? Yes, no. Almost like weighing out a risk. And then you very quickly reason with yourself and said, hey, my own anxiety is kind of a little bit overplayed. Um, in a realistic scenario, I'm going to be fine. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I'm probably definitely not as bullish on the share market as I was a couple of years back, partly because I think in many ways the world has changed in terms of the days of the days of cheap anything are over, like, you know, cheap petrol, cheap heating, cheap electricity, all those days are behind us. So it, it's kind of, I feel like the world's going through this transition stage at the moment. And so we could see, we could see a lost decade or at least a decade of the share market going sideways for the next 10 years, you know? So I'm definitely not as excited as I was in the share market a couple of years back to the point that 90% of my new capital now is actually going into property just because I, um, yeah, I just I just haven't been overly excited with with the share market. I don't know has anything changed from your side in terms of where you're putting putting money for your for your investments. For myself, I've been doubling down on ETFs. Uh, sold off everything alter everything alternative I had. Simply going all the way Vanguard, simple and straightforward. Um, I have reduced kind of the forecast I'm expecting return wise a little bit. So you know, I'm going for a four to five percent return after inflation. On average, that's kind of what I'm working with uh, for the next 10 years, which may be a bit less bullish than I used to be. But at the same time, I think it's healthy if the stock market, you know, goes through a correction, gets rid of a number of zombie companies that live on, you know, cheap as loans, which were never realistic to uh, work on. So, no, I'm, I'm not going to say I am. Um, as positive as like oh yeah you know 2020 when everything was going up like crazy but no i am reasonably optimistic and just trying to control what i can control myself you know i have no idea what the house market is going to return or the stock market i can't forecast it in any way i only have to pass then you know averages from that where i kind of take a good guess from and then extrapolate that you know over the next 10 years and work with it that's all I've got, and I can control my own labor, what I do and what I save. On that note, actually, you know how you always used to say, oh, Alva, you're so cheap, you live on nothing. <laughs> I think I can probably compete with your monthly expenses at the moment because I actually uh, moved over to Switzerland. So in the meantime, uh, so right now I am technically, I'm living in Germany, working in Switzerland, um but spending big chunks of my time in switzerland so my expenses <laughs> have gone through the roof um so it's no longer the 700 a month i have to admit that i'm maybe standing at 1500 a month now 
It's still significantly lower than my expenses, dude. So I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't get too concerned. I mean, that's quite okay. So that's interesting in itself. So you're, you're basically doing a form of geo arbitrage, but except the opposite direction. So you're obviously getting paid in, in francs, which I think is strengthening at the moment. Correct. Um, you're then spending in euros predominantly, I guess, when you're back in Germany. How does that work? Have you got bank accounts in both currencies or maybe you're using Revolut or Wise or something like that? No, Revolut and Wise, as nice as they are for travel, once in a while, I would not use them as dedicated bank accounts uh, like that. So yes, so I have a bank account in Switzerland. I've got a bank account in Germany um, and I get paid in Swiss francs and I simply spend with that one and it gets out of converted to euros. And if I need to, I also have my euro accounts, but daily spending gets done in Swiss franc. And yeah, you're right. It's been strengthening quite a bit the last um, week slash months. It really looks like investors are, you know, chasing safer currencies all, all in onto the dollar and a little bit the Swiss franc, uh, the euro and the pound are suffering because of it. In the grand scheme of things, most of my holdings are still in pounds. And the drop that went through the last weeks has been far more painful than any gain <laughs> I made um, from the franc exchange rate, which is also a nice way to show that, you know, don't try to play with exchange rates. You will always lose. Not that I'm trying to play with it, no, but in yeah, the grand yeah. scheme of things, you, you, you can't forecast it. You can't time it. So it's the, yeah, the best of both worlds, having the Swiss salary, um, living in Germany and yeah, it's uh, it's something I've always wanting to try, and I'm actually doing it. It's uh, in the, if you look at it from a, you know what I can save on a monthly basis versus life back in the UK, it is a humongous difference. In um, yeah, obviously Switzerland is more expensive, so is Germany in some elements than the UK, but I'm earning in a stronger currency, and the salaries by default are just much and much higher and i always used to say that the tax advantages of the uk kind of outweigh that with a very large uh you know twelve and a half thousand pounds you could earn tax-free but at this point with the massive inflation we had going on in the uk and the drop in the value of the pound i kind of don't think it's the case anymore it, it, it's the uk has really lost the last bit of edge it had with its tax advantages the humongous inflation and just the very low salaries in general, it's just no longer competitive, I think. It's interesting, isn't it? And what, what you've alluded to there, Alva, is the concept of savings rate, right? Which is a percentage, ultimately. So you basically take your, you, you work out how much you save versus how much you earn. So I guess in the case of the UK, you were saving more, you were spending less, but you've now found that you've moved over to another country you're spending more, but you're also earning more and you're probably saving more than you were before. And of course, you've always got the option to move back to your low cost of living in the future if you wanted to, but it sounds like maybe now you're in a stronger position to actually um, save and, and move towards your goal of being financially independent one day. Yes, and that's also worth saying, maybe like in relative terms, my expenses on housing, etc., are still all the same, or actually I genuinely think they're less even in percentage or relative terms than they were in the UK, but... The biggest difference is in absolute terms, like the amount of euros slash francs I've got left in, at the end of the month versus what I had in the UK. It just, um, there's no competing on it. it. It's been very nice. And on a funnier note, so like in the UK, we always used to have the NHS, which you obviously pay through your taxes, but at the point of usage, 
you're not paying for it. Right now, I'm, you know, I'm paying a pretty hefty health insurance fee each month, but it's been better, to be honest. Like, I'm getting quicker help if needed, um, and I'm actually liking it a lot more to not pay for my health insurance through taxes. But, I mean, you always pay a little bit through taxes, of course, but just pay a monthly premium. Um, pick my own providers. I don't know how this works in Ireland, but I'm quite liking it. Dude, Ireland is a king of the user pays uh, to the point that I have five different uh, private rubbish trucks that come past my house each week because it's uh, they privatize all the bin services, you know? So it's very, very funny. But uh, yeah, it could be the same in the UK, in, in, in Ireland. You know, we have, uh, we have private health insurance, which I definitely do not enjoy paying, especially when there's five of us. But uh, to be honest, it only takes one incident where you have to go to hospital to realize that you've, you know, you, you feel feel that peace of mind that you do have it, you know, so it is, uh, it's definitely worthwhile. And so listen, what's, I mean, what's your plan long-term then? I mean, are you, are you planning on, on sticking it out long-term where you are? Or are you just, just seeing how it goes? Are you still, do you think you'll go back to the UK or back to the Netherlands at one stage? To be very honest, um, the last years with COVID have been such a roller coaster that for now, it's just kind of seeing how it goes. I genuinely don't know where I'm in five years. I know I'll be doing this for like the next couple of years. But um, I always think, you know, if you try to forecast to look ahead so much longer, I have no idea if I would tell you I'm going to stay here for the next six decades, I would be lying. So it's, it's one of those, try it out, go with the flow. And as long as it stays fun, okay, that's kind of the thinking. So I think for now, uh, this works. And on the long run, it's just kind of, you know, where it goes, obviously, quality of life is great here salaries are amazing uh, but weather can be crappy uh, other things might happen family reasons it yeah <laughs> it's one of those i generally don't know i will just live in a moment right now um, and make the most of it uh, but i actually quickly wanted to grab back to your point on health insurance and uh, point out our lovely european health card um, and what it can actually mean and do for you because I had a great example on holiday in Iceland last year where um, I needed to visit the hospital for uh, undisclosed reasons. But uh, as you say, that hospital bill would have been very hefty into a couple of thousand, three, four thousand euro. Uh, but because of the fact I had a European health card with me, um, you're like, yeah, all good. You have to pay the exact same as the locals. Uh, I had to pay maybe 200 euro own payments and the rest was all covered in essence by the Icelandic government. Um, and I mean, they'll obviously ask back in the end through my European health card uh, to, but still, um, I was like, okay, I like that. And even to the point I had health insurance, travel health insurance, but that it wasn't worth claiming it back. And I was like, okay, that is pretty decent. We actually only recently got ours, so you do actually have to apply for them. It's not something that that, that you get just from being a European citizen. No, it's free. So, um, it, it, yeah, it's free to yeah. it's free to get, but there is a little bit of like particularly in Ireland, there's a bit of bit of paperwork to get it. But um, it's well worth it's well worth having exactly just just when you go overseas to know that uh, if you're traveling within the eurozone, you're at least going to be covered and and don't feel like you know if you don't have insurance as well, at least you have some sort of cover there. Give us your travel hack. I'd love to hear it. I was faced with the following situation. I want to fly to Iceland, but flights were, you know, direct flights from where I was in Germany at that moment were like upwards of like four or 500 euro. And I was like, I'm not paying that. And I happened to find very cheap flights leaving from Napoli in Italy for 30, 40 euro. 
for, uh, to Reykjavik, Iceland. I was like, okay, so if I leave myself from Basel, Switzerland, where, where was it at that point, I'm going to spend four or 500 to fly direct. If I fly from Napoli, I can spend 30. So let's do the following. Let's fly from Basel to Napoli the day before the flight from Napoli would leave, spend the night there, grab myself a hotel, have some fun in town. Day afterwards, hang out in town, fly over to Reykjavik, happy days, uh, hotel for 40, bit of food, uh, total uh, cost, call it 100 versus 500. Uh, you know, if I had flown directly, 400 saved and seen Napoli on top. So what is the takeaway from this? If you want to fly to a destination and are only very expensive direct flights or with crazy uh, ways around available, uh, go to your destination airport on Skyscanner and just search on there uh, from your destination airport, fly to anywhere and on the date, a one-way flight and look where the cheapest flights are going to. And then see, so for example, you know, I don't know, let's say you want to fly to Paris and um, you know, it's 500 but, you know, Paris actually has really cheap flights leaving towards Copenhagen. Now, it might be very worthwhile to look, hey, if I fly to Copenhagen, from there connect onto Paris, that might come out substantially cheaper than flying directly from wherever I want to fly to Paris to. Because what it tends to be, if there are cheap flights departing from an airport somewhere, then they tend to also come uh, back cheap. Quite often, it's not always the case, but you know, eight out of ten, uh, I've had good luck with this. Good website to check and to find out these routes is Kiwi.com. Uh, you know, hey, there we go. What makes it nice? I, I mean, I'm not even sure if this is a <laughs> New Zealand company, but um, they got a lot of nice little filters where you can say, "I want to fly uh, to Dublin from um, Krakow, um, and I want a layover of at least six hours, and I don't care which city." There are a lot of little tools you can use to kind of find these in between stops that can make routes cheaper for you and also kind of get a nice city trip out of it at the same time. Obviously, it only works if you're flexible, if you've got time, if you're willing to jump around a little bit. And, you know, I wouldn't bother for like 50 euro savings. It's not worth spending 10 hours of your time on extra flying. But 400, yeah, on a family, I think that can be quite worth your while if you were willing to think out of the box a little bit. Yeah, awesome, dude. I'm going to check that out because we've been trying to get, get well, we're thinking about doing a family trip down to New Zealand, but it's just costing so much money that uh, we keep putting it off. So I'm definitely going to check that out and see if I can find myself a deal, which is which is certainly hard to do. So so yeah, I mean, look, I, this, is a, this has actually been really good. And in terms of, I actually kind of looped back to where we talked about earlier at the start, whereas I kind of mentioned that I was investing a lot in property now and and, and you've doubled down on the share market. But I guess one of the great things about investing in the share market is you can live anywhere and you don't have to worry too much about it, you know? So it's one of those situations where it's probably suiting your lifestyle in terms of the investment because you don't have to, you don't have to deal with, with too much other stuff, you know? Whereas, uh, whereas property can be fairly active, particularly if you don't have a, a decent property manager. So I guess your plan at this stage is, are you kind of following the 4% rule? Is that, is that where you're at in your own, in your own mind just to, just to get things going from that point of view? To be honest, I've let the whole retire early thoughts go, basically. I'm still very much up for, you know, get financially independent as soon as possible, but I am not intending to stop working anytime soon, even if you chuck 5 million my way now, because it's in the end what, you know, it feels best. It makes us as human beings most 
productive and it's also a little bit sad <laughs> to say but yeah i like working so i um and in terms of kind of like how i'm looking at it yeah just simply four percent rule uh, keep it simple but i actually wanted to comment on what you said uh, you know that uh, the stock market makes you flexible that's not well it's a reason but if i could make superior returns in the housing market i would buy properties like crazy if i could my problem is that in order to generate uh, superior returns in the housing markets, either through rentals or uh, refurbishments or whatever, or flips against stock markets, and if you also take into account your own time, you know, and pay your, you know, say, you know, you, your time is worth 30, 40 an hour, you're going to struggle uh, then competing against the returns the stock markets can offer, unless you obviously you, you use the bank's money and work with like a 95% <laughs> low to value ratio or something along those lines. It's, it's definitely doable with property. It's definitely doable. I, I wouldn't dismiss it because, and it depends where you are, but um, certainly for the last couple of years, we've, we've actually bought two investment properties this year alone. So we've been, we've been going, we're, I've been working as hard as possible to make it happen. But my latest idea is like, we, we just bought a, a massive five bedroom house and we, we bought it for less than 200,000. And our idea is to actually rent it out per room. And we'll probably rent out four rooms there. Um, so that'll bring in around, around 2,000 euros a month gross rental income before any expenses, obviously. But even on that, you're, you're, looking, at a, you're looking at cash flowing of around 1,000 euros a month. So for an investment of less than 200,000, and obviously I've got a mortgage on that, so I've only had to put down 30%. So we're talking less than 60,000 euros to deliver 12,000 euros a month, or sorry, 12,000 euros a year. It's pretty phenomenal in terms of the return, you know? So not exactly passive in terms of, you know, I could either put, but I could put a property manager in there if I wanted to. But yeah, it's, it kind of blows the 4% rule out of the water when, when you're dealing with those sort of margins. And, you know, three or four of those deals um, are then over the line in terms of, you know, not needing to work anymore. And if it's a case of needing to manage those properties, so be it. Um, but eventually those mortgages will be paid off and the equity will grow in the, in the house in the meantime. Let's run through those numbers for a moment. Let's see what wins. So you're saying 200K um, purchase value, 60K down, 12K um, gross uh, 12, rental 12, revenue. 12K cash flow. So that's, that's, uh, that's kind of, so be two thousand after repairs and yeah 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 and mortgage okay payments. yeah okay so that's net <laughs> okay so say so we're talking twelve k net so we're talking a twenty percent net cash on cash return you're getting basically on the sixty k you put in yeah bang on but then and and if we're gonna be honest how much time have you spent buying the place finding tenants all that stuff. 100 um, hours no not even jeepers no 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 that was gee, to, to, to find the place was driving out there and putting an offer in so you know probably three hours and finding tenants all in will, will be you know another five hours and then either getting a cleaner in which will take off the money or just going up there every couple of weeks and checking on it make sure everything's running okay but as i said you could get a property manager if you wanted it's definitely not as time consuming as you think You've got to remember as well, like tenants don't want to be reaching out to landlords. They really don't. Like you find that with tenants that they'll, they'll reach out every couple of months if there's something wrong. But usually by the time they do, they've got a small list of things. And once you've got your network, you've got your handyman, you've got your property managers. 
it's most of the time it's it's fairly fairly hands off. There are going to be days there are there are going to be bad days, but there's also bad days in the share market, you know, where you do, where you want to do everything but look at it. So um, yeah, you're you're talking here a twenty percent twenty percent cash flow return plus whatever capital gain you get from from the property plus that mortgage is being paid off year after year that 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 thousand euros a month isn't including that so it is it, it is fairly hard to beat when you look at the numbers and you know i've been through this a lot over the last couple of years and, and talked to so many people and they've kind of convinced me to go down this road because what ended up happening is back in 2020 we we moved house and um so we actually moved house at the end of november and we end up leaving our old house and renting it out. So that kind of got us into the whole being a landlord thing. And at first I hated it. I always feared being a landlord and I was worried about things breaking down and, and things going wrong. And do you know what? The tenant had only been there about a month and the worst thing imaginable basically happened where I got a phone call to say a pipe has burst in the downstairs and the whole house is leaking. And I was like, right. You know, I was in the middle of a busy work day and I was able just to explain to them how to turn the water off on the phone. The handyman was out there within two hours. He'd fixed everything up. He said that the skirting boards might have to be replaced. By the time that I went and had a look at the damage a week later, everything had dried up and everything was back to normal. So it's one of those things where I think sometimes you fear the worst case scenario. But like, even if you look at your own house, how often does something go wrong that you've got an emergency situation? It's it's pretty rare, really, you know? So yeah, it's it's been interesting in terms of getting into it and, and going down that path. But to be honest, Elva, I love it. I love the property deal. I love looking at houses. Um, I love trying to find a deal that works and a deal that actually produces cash flow. It's, it's certainly not for everybody. So the second rental that we bought, we finally got the keys for a couple of weeks ago. And the place the place was a neglected rental. That's how I would describe it. A lot of landlords in Ireland at the moment are selling rental properties because they want to get out of the industry. Um, and so it gives opportunities to buy these places. But you go in and the, you know, the place is filthy. It needs a clean. My wife and, and my three kids and I literally went out one Saturday. and We were all sitting there cleaning the place. My five-year-old was going around with a duster trying to find all the spiders around the house, you know. And it was a whole family day out. They'll remember that. I promise you, when the youngest guy is 18, he will remember that day because we had so much fun and we took them to the local shop and they got to buy whatever they wanted in the, in the local supermarket. Um, and it was just a family day out of basically cleaning up this place to try and get it ready to actually rent, you know? It is enjoyable, do you know what I mean? And, and it's hard as well and it's taken a long time to, to get into, but um, anybody who's chasing and going down the financial independence journey, if it, once you've got a savings rate of, of 50% plus, property is definitely on the cards because you know, we're actually able to save deposits quite quickly without realizing it, you know, because, because we do save so much. So it's, it's certainly something that is, is possible, but um, yeah, you've, you've just got to, you've got to kind of think outside the box when it comes to looking for these deals sometimes. And I guess you've got a few things going for you. You're still young. You got a good, you got a good income. You can save quite a bit. There's a market of retired old landlords who want to get rid of their place who might sell at pretty decent discounts because what you're describing, a 200k place doing 12k net is kind of nuts. And I always thought the Irish house market was pretty overpriced. So either you're buying in the middle of nowhere or you're looking out massively because those kind of numbers, um, I mean, if I would come across those, I'm like, okay, heck yeah, let's, let's buy that. But in the UK, you will struggle finding that. That's at least in the, the better cities. Is there a reason you're getting such good yields or am I just missing something? Yeah, so I try to buy outside of the cities. About 20 minutes is my golden rule. So you take a major city, 
And then you basically do a 20 minute perimeter around that city. And you want to try and buy your commuter towns because commuter towns seems to be where cheaper houses are. There's less competition, but people are still really happy to live there because a lot of people don't want to live in the city. They like even your even your situation, right? You're living in Germany, but you cross a border to go to Switzerland to work, right? So I mean, how far are you traveling every day to get to work? Yeah, honestly, call it 30 to 45 minutes. But okay, so that's, that's a decent commute. Uh, I, I, yeah, I agree. No, there's no denying it. But you know, with a yeah. bit of home office and working straight from the train like the actual amount of hours i'm losing travel wise isn't that much exactly and that's the key there alva you just hit it on the head you can do a 45 minute commute each way and you'll argue that it's not that bad and so that's why the commuter towns i think are quite good in terms of you're going to get you're going to get cheaper properties you're going to get something special within the property as in some sort of x factor not just you know some sort of standard apartment and so on. And yeah, then you're looking for something which is not turnkey. Anything that's turnkey is going to sell too much. Like if you're looking at a, at a house that you just move into, you don't want to be you, you don't want to be trying to buy those properties. They're going to have pro- they're going to have bidding wars on them. You've got to try and find something that's a little bit more you know needs a little bit of love, needs ten grand put into it. Because again, you know you're chasing financial independence. You're going to have a savings rate. You're going to have money to put into the house. So a lot of the time it's about chasing those ones. Um, you know, the second property that we bought back in April, like I said, that was a neglected rental. There's a list of 20 things that I've got a handyman helping me with at the moment to try and get that property in order to, to actually rent out that needs to be done. It is a matter of, you know, looking at, looking at things a little bit differently and trying to find the potential in a property. But it is, it's a lot of fun. It is. It's, I mean, it's not always fun, but I, I certainly get excited about it from my side, you know. And that's in the end, you know, if you can have some fun running around with your family, cleaning it up and finding these deals, then why not? And there's no denying and empirically speaking that people get financially independent either through property or just simply by investing in our ETFs. That's like in 95% of the cases people I've spoken to, that's the way they've done it. And obviously you should add own business to that too, as there are ways of, you know, getting the capital together. And speaking of that, actually, how about the actual financial independence numbers? Because I don't know about you, but mine has gone up (laughs) more times than I can count. Because I recall we were speaking years ago and I was saying, oh, 300K, 12,000 a year, 4% rule. I can easily live off that. That's still true. But uh, in the meantime, life's priorities have changed and the cash requirements have gone up check a bit of inflation on top and i have basically doubled uh my financial independence amount to six hundred thousand as we speak and yeah that's that's one i did not had not seen coming but even i suffer from lifestyle inflation a little bit it's it's so hard when like when inflation's rocking at 10 percent, like the whole the whole numbers change and I, i've noticed even from people reaching out to me on the podcast, it's it's gone from like, let's chase financial independence to can you help me save money, right? It's like, we've kind of gone through these waves of different things. And yeah, look, I, I think a lot of people that, that would have been close to financial independence or close to five last year even, and the highs and the joys of 2021 of this so-called great reset and new economy and everything that was gonna be exciting about it is definitely long gone in 2022. You know, I... I I think the biggest the biggest hurdle for me, and I think you probably you've probably realized this along the way, is exactly as you alluded to, you could retire and you could stop working at twelve thousand euros a year. But 
you're going to have a lifestyle where, you know, you're going to be basically just buying food and surviving, but not necessarily living. And this is kind of the problem sometimes is that you sit down and you go, right, let's crunch a budget. And you realize that you've crunched this perfect budget, but you're not actually doing anything fun. And yeah, a lot of people allude to early retirement being like every day is a Saturday. And like for us, the Saturday is an expensive day. It's usually a day where we, you know, go and have some fun as a family and we spend a bit of money. And if that becomes every day, then your whole fire number concept changes, you know? So then look, there's definitely, there's definitely ways around it and, and ways to manage it. But I mean, is that, has that somewhat happened to you in terms of your realization about, about the whole fire number? A little bit. And what I would add is that I used to be quite cheap as in chase you know, pennies and euros in all random corners. But I'm doing that far and far less. Obviously, it also has something to do with the salary. You know, my salary has been increasing over the years. But I'm no longer chasing these little savings. Like, I'm really, like, trying to focus my time far better. And obviously, that's up to an extent life experience. But also just seeing, okay, what's the point of trying to save, you know, a little bit of cash by going to five different shops defeats the whole purpose of you know having a fun live and yeah as you said um my fun week my saturday last saturday <laughs> uh what i spent would probably equal what i would have spent in an entire month as a student for fun so it's yeah there's no escape to it and yeah, it's obviously, it's always comparing, you know, is it worth it, is it not? I'm still, you know, for large purchases and, you know, saving those 400 euro on flights, I still look after that. But, you know, the, the boundary of what I consider not worth my time, you know, is going up quite a bit compared to what it used to be. Uh, and I actually think it's good because it means, um, you know, I'm looking for valuable quality. So I'm looking after a valuable experience, something that's good to me. I'm willing to pay for it. Obviously, I want it cheap, but in a way where it makes sense for my own time and what I invest to it to get the price to quality ratio. I feel I've gotten a lot better at that, just weighing that down. And that's also a process, I think, for many cheap-ass people to kind of get to that level. But yeah, yeah. It's going well, and I hope that I can progress that. And I don't think my income will, uh, you know, double or go up in the ways it has done Switzerland compared to UK much in the future. But who knows? In the end, you know, we all got to enjoy life a little bit, and you know, accept that we were idiots for investing in peer-to-peer lending—the dangerous word—and uh, uh, you know, our investments in crypto. And maybe some people will hate me for saying this, but you know, just saying that it's what it is, throwing a bit of money away, gambling, going crazy. It's, yeah, it's been a wild ride the last years, but, you know, I guess we've kind of, we've gotten down to strategies that work for us. Housing for you, me simply buying my ETFs. One thing I am doing, which, you know, is a little bit on the riskier, but I'm trying to leverage uh, my ETF investing a little bit. So by buying or basically t- taking out a margin loan, on the back of my portfolio at a low level of 20 to 25% of the value of my portfolio. And in that way, leveraging it a little bit, I'm paying like 1.3 one to 1.5% interest for that. I think that's the riskiest thing I've probably done, uh, you know, if you can call it risky over the last year. 
uh, and I think in comparison to how leveraged houses can be, I'm still very safe. And before people start scaring, oh, margin call, look out, look out. The, the cash to cover that is sitting ready if needed. So that is not necessarily a risk, just you know, where I can using free money provided by a broker. Yes, please. Same as getting your loan from the bank. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, you would need your portfolio to fall 75% before that margin call kicked in. Is that right, based on those numbers? Yeah, correct. But yeah, look, it is, it is, it is interesting. And how, I mean, have you researched some of the alternative fire approaches? Have you seen some of the stuff around slow fire or coast fire or flamingo fire? Because it sounds a little bit like you're kind of talking yourself into, into some of those lifestyles. And one of the great things about you, Elva, is you've always liked your job. You know what I mean? You've, you've liked work, whereas I certainly haven't. And a lot of my reasons for doing what I do is around trying to get away from work, whereas for you, it's um, you enjoy it anyway. So there probably isn't such a rush to, to make this happen short of being able to tell people that you're or even mentally knowing that you're financially independent. But if you enjoy what you're doing, what's the rush? Yeah, and to be honest, Europe is pretty decent with its annual leave and the work pressure, you know, if you pick the right environments. Uh, so I just, I hope to be the person who makes smart long-term choices, but enjoys the journey as much as possible while we're at it. And yeah, I sometimes have crappy jobs to do at work, which aren't too much fun, but so do we all. So yeah, it's, you know, I, I do think at some point I want to get to the point where I'm kind of saying, okay, I'm going to work six months a year, either through, through contracting or just have an employer that allows me to take six months off a year and then do volunteering. I think that's kind of the, you know, the, the, the bit I'm aiming at to say, not now, but call it five to 10 years from now to say, okay, I work six months a year and the other six, I'm just doing whatever. Might it be volunteering, traveling, spending time with family? I think that's the ghost fire for version I'm going for. It's, you know, it's in development, it might change, but that's kind of what it's working towards. Because I think we're not made to work 40, 50 years behind a computer. And that's one thing I've become very aware of myself, spending my 14, 15 hours you know, at times behind a computer each day. It's just not, we're not made for that as human beings. So I think very much that's my main aim, living as healthy as possible and making all my financial means support that. And unfortunately, with the increase in my fire number and some unfortunate expenses the last years. <laughs> Still a very far, very, very far away from getting to financial independence. But hey, if the journey doesn't have any rocks and obstacles in it, it's not a fun one. So <laughs> I don't mind. Yeah, it's one of those ones. But you know what? The beautiful thing there, what you're describing and that, that lifestyle that you're describing and, and whether it was six months on and six months off or working two and a half, three days a week and, and taking four day weekends. With fire, it's so doable because you know, we, we, we focus on savings rate, right? So I'd always say, if somebody says to me, how can I make that lifestyle happen? I'd say, well, just learn to save half your income. And once you're saving half your income, you now are in a situation where if you did decide to work seasonally, six months on, six months off, or any part-time and half the time that you are now, your lifestyle will be exactly the same as it is today. All you're taking away is the extra money that you're currently putting into investments. So it's extremely doable. And if you probably were to crunch your portfolio over a 20 or 30 year lifespan, you'll probably find that you potentially are already coast fire and that's already an option for you, you know? So it's definitely, it's definitely doable in terms of when you look at the big picture, you know, it's, it's even myself, I think I'm now currently coast fire at age 57 based on like a five or 5% 5 return 
um, from from me being 38 to 57. So, you know, it it, it gets there and, and the more years we put behind us and the more years that we save, it, it definitely gets closer one year at a time, you know. Man, it's been great to catch up. I thought this was such a fun way to uh, to actually have a catch up. So look, thanks thanks so much for coming on, Elva. It's it's been another great chat. And uh, let's try not to leave it two and a half years between now and our next catch up, eh? Sounds like a plan and my pleasure. Always good to be back on the podcast. 